Oh, 
meditation this morning, we find ourselves in the book of Galatians, looking at just two verses, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. You know, they say that timing is everything. You've probably heard that phrase before, timing is everything. And that is true in so many areas of our life, and it's certainly true when it came to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to celebrate together the results of that first coming 
a baby would be born, which we just celebrated at Christmas time, who was going to grow up and then die on a Roman cross. Now, he would not die for his own wrongdoing or his own sin. He would die for ours, but I'm getting ahead of myself. If you have your Bible there, Galatians 4, just listen. Verses 4 and 5. It's a passage that is certainly a Christmas one in nature. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says very simply, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation, just so you can hear it in a different light. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. I just want to point out before we have the Lord's Supper today, three simple observations of history-changing truth in these two verses. I want you to notice, first of all, the perfect timing that is mentioned. This is when the fullness of time was come or when the right time came. One of the things we often struggle with so much, beloved, is God's timing. We think He should do things when we want them done, which is usually now. We forget that He is perfect. We forget that God's timing is perfect. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. He's always perfect in His timing. And we sometimes wonder, you know, we're celebrating the first coming of the Lord Jesus during this time of the year. We sometimes wonder why the Lord Jesus has not returned again in His second coming. I mean, it looks like the right time, doesn't it? We really need Him to come and set things right. Our world is in a mess. Our nation's in a mess. We look around us and we say, Lord Jesus, why have You not come yet? And perhaps those who are waiting for His first coming We're thinking the same thing. But beloved, the truth of the matter is God's timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. You know, the gospel is mentioned in the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is a picture of the Calvary, of the cross, Golgotha we just read about. And then all this time goes by from Genesis chapter 3. We go through the entire Old Testament. And then probably only one page separates the Old Testament from the New Testament in your Bible, and maybe not even a page. But do you realize there's actually 400 years represented by that single page, by that gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament? There are 400 years of silence. John MacArthur noted, he said it this way, God's people had not seen or heard from an angel in more than 400 years. During that time, there had been no revelation from the Lord, no miracle, and certainly no sequence of miracles. The Jewish people had been looking for their Messiah since Moses first prophesied that a great prophet would come in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. They were eagerly awaiting a deliverer, particularly now that they lived under Roman oppression. The entire nation longed for His coming. He was the great hope of the ages. The destiny of Israel was bound up in His coming. He was their deliverer, Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One. So 400 years, silent years, and then finally, at the perfect time, 
at the right time, God sent his angel Gabriel to the priest Zacharias. And he sent him to a virgin named Mary. And he sent an angel to a young man named Joseph. 400 years of waiting, waiting, waiting. And then we read these glorious words in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You see, God in his sovereign will and wisdom knew the perfect timing in order to send the Lord Jesus. But notice something else, beloved. Not only do we have perfect timing here, but there's a second observation of history-changing truth, and that is we see here a perfect Savior. Back in Galatians, our text this morning, it says in Galatians 4 and 5 that God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, there's so much there you dare not miss it. Don't read it so fast that you miss what's being said. It says there that God sent forth His Son. That's talking about His divinity, His deity. He's always existed. He's always been. He's eternal. God. Jesus is God. He's always been God. He will always be God. The second member of the Trinity. He did not have His beginning there at Bethlehem. He's always existed. In fact, the Bible says He is our Creator. He was sent forth as the Son of God. But then it says he was born of a woman. So you have his deity, he's God's Son. Then you have his humanity, born to a woman. Not a woman and a man, but to a woman. That is the Virgin Mary, a supernatural birth. And he became perfect God and perfect man, joined and united together forever. We call it the Incarnation. Jesus, who is God, became man without ceasing to be God. And then it says not only was He sent forth as the Son and born to a woman, it says He was born under the law. That is, beloved, He was born into the Jewish race. And He was also born into the Jewish faith. He was under the law. That is, He was subject to the law. He would be judged by the law. And beloved, can I just tell you rejoicingly today that he perfectly kept the law. Matthew 5:17, he says, "Do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill." And so in Galatians 4 and 5, beloved, we really have Christmas in the book of Galatians. We have the first advent we have the deity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, the law that required, necessitated that He come to rescue us from the law. So you have perfect timing, a perfect Savior, which brings us to the third observation, and that is a perfect solution. You see, beloved, we had a problem that we could not solve. You say, preacher, what is our problem? What is it that we cannot solve? We cannot remedy. We cannot untangle. Well, beloved, it's simply this. We are dead and bound in our sin apart from Jesus Christ. And left to ourselves, there's nothing we can do. But here we have the perfect solution. This is the why behind His coming. Now, why did He come? Well... Verse 5 tells us, Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. To redeem 
those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so in verse 4, you have this whole idea of God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. So you have the deity, the humanity, born under the law, the Jewish race, the Jewish faith. And you have the law of God. And then you have the whole idea here of why He came. To redeem us and to adopt us. The Son was sent to save us. You know the verse, no doubt, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the problem, beloved, is not with the law of God. The law is perfect. The problem is with us. We fail. We cannot keep the law. We cannot be saved by the law. The law simply shows us that we need a Savior. We need a rescuer. We're undone. The Bible says it's like a school teacher, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And the law condemns us. And the law says you've sinned and you've, you've fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death and, and there's nothing you can do because you're guilty, guilty, guilty. Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. And so the problem's not with the law. The problem's with us. The law is God's perfect standard and God is perfect and our sin has separated us and we're guilty, a lawbreaker. What can we do? Nothing. Left to ourselves, we're hopeless and helpless and condemned and miserable. All of us. What we need is a rescuer. We need a savior. We need a redeemer. And that's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, it says, to redeem those who were under the law. Wiersbe said redeem means to set free by paying a price. And he said back in that day, beloved, a man could purchase a slave in any Roman city. And by the way, he said, well, how many slaves were there? He says there's a, there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. About 60 million. And a man could purchase a slave in any Roman city and he could either keep the slave for himself or he could set him free. And can I just tell you, beloved, that Jesus came to set us free. He paid the price for our sin. He bought our pardon on the cross. Romans 8, 3 and 4 says it this way. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. He sets us free if we put our faith and trust in Christ. But the verse doesn't stop in Galatians 4, verse 5. In fact, if you read the next part, it's quite remarkable. Now, when does it say He came to redeem us? It says that we might receive adoption as sons. Not only redeemed, but adopted as sons. They tell me that in a Roman culture, a wealth, wealthy, childless man could take a slave youth and make that slave his child and heir. Now, the adopted person was no longer a slave. He became a full heir to his new family. He was guaranteed all legal rights to his father's property. 
He was not a second-class son. He was equal to all the other sons, biological or adopted in his father's family. The person's origin or past was no longer a factor in his legal standing. And beloved, that's what the Lord has done for us. He's not only come and said, you know what? I love you so much. I'll give myself for you on the cross. I'll shed my blood. I'll take your sin upon myself. I'll be buried. I'll rise again. I'll give you new life in Christ. If you repent of your sin and place your faith in me, I'll forgive you of your sin, give you a home in heaven. I'm not only going to redeem you and pay the price for you, I'm also going to adopt you and receive you into my family and make you an heir and join heir with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have all of that standing because I love you you and beloved we are the children of God those of us who have Christ as our Savior we are the sons and daughters of God but that privilege came at a tremendous price it came by the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus it's what we're remembering today you see this is so much more than just some bread and grape juice Now, it is bread and grape juice, but the symbolism, what it represents, what it reminds us of, is so much greater. The bread reminds us of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The juice reminds us of the blood of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says that He said, as often as you do this, as often as you celebrate this Lord's Supper, you do it in remembrance of Me. We're to remember Jesus. You see, none of us within ourselves are worthy to receive the Lord's Supper. Jesus is the one who makes us worthy. Why? Because we stand in Christ's righteousness, not our own. Our righteousness is as but filthy rags, but we are now in Christ, in His righteousness. When God looks at us, He sees us in Christ. And so because of that, we come today. We come and we receive the bread. We drink the juice and we remember and we worship And we're grateful and we're thankful. But you know what? Before we do it, the Bible says that we should take time to examine ourselves. And I want us to do that before we eat and drink today. We confess our sins. We purify our hearts and hands. And then after doing that, we come with a mixture of reverence and a mixture of joy. And we eat the bread and we drink from the cup Remembering the Savior, the one who was sent as the Son, born to a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem us and to adopt us as His very own children. Let's bow together. As we prepare our hearts now, would you take a moment, child of God, And just confess any sin in your life. Ask the Lord to examine your heart. Prepare your heart as we partake of the bread and the juice today representing the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to do that myself. I want to give you time to do it as well. Let's pray.